entrance is just spectacular. It's like this, you're in the middle of basically like a rainforest and you turn a corner and it just opens up into this massive opening that has a really kind of rocky face that, that shoots way up to the sky. But, you know, you're in the jungle and things can happen there. One time we were, we were somebody overturned a rock outside of a cave by just accidentally started digging around. And before I got to them to warn them that this was not a good thing to be doing, one of the most poisonous snakes came out of that a nest under that rock. And an aggressive snake called a fair de lance. They're, they're known to chase horse people on horseback and tried to come after us. <laughs> Everybody was screaming, running away, and a snake was chasing us. <laughs> The entrance is usually marked by a lot of like little boulders, maybe about the size of a basketball that you have to scramble over until you get to the cave entrance itself. And then, you know, the inside of the cave is wild. It smells like uh, dissolving limestone. The floor is really damp. It is basically like silty, kind of muddy substrate. And... You walk for about, I would say about 45 minutes maybe, until you come to the first cave pool. And in that cave pool, lo and behold, there are natural little white cave fish swimming around. And the plane wasn't climbing quite as fast as the slope was. <laughs> so they <laughs> got to the top of the ridge, and his main gear on his plane, the wheels, connected with the treetop. And turn the plane around backwards. And there really is something to be said for you know being in the darkest environment you've ever experienced and you know and then shining your light and seeing these fish swimming around perfectly happy. After Salvatore Coronado discovered the Mexican cavefish in the 1930s, and scientists like Carl Hubbs, Charles Breeder, and Perahin Chatelou helped give the fish name recognition, a long history of exploration and discovery began, peaking in the 1960s and 1970s. As I talked to the scientists of today, I was drawn to the stories of the past, full of adventure and danger. They made me think of Indy going after the Golden Idol in Indiana Jones' Temple of Doom. But in this case, the treasure was a fish that has been fueling scientific research for over 80 years. I'm Andrea Carter, and I will take you on the fish's journey from cave to lab, which includes the scientists that help pave its way to becoming a significant scientific model used today to study genetics, neuroscience, and disease. This is part two of the Cave Fish Chronicles, The Caves. The caves are found in northeastern Mexico in a mountainous area called the Sierra de la Abra. Its geological history and karst topography make it a cave-rich region. Millions of years ago, the land was covered by ocean with abundant coral reefs, which became buried under sediments over time. Later, freshwater rivers eroded the sediment covering, revealing porous limestone which pushed up and was sculpted by freshwater rivers creating a cavernous underworld. Bill Elliott is a scientist and caver who started exploring the area over 50 years ago. And the limestone was getting cracked, and as it was uplifted, there was an uplift going on uh, over millions of years. And 
that created the joints and cracks and faults that caves like to form in. Uh, but you have to have limestone uh, usually to form large caves. So that took a long time. We don't know how old the oldest caves are, but probably millions. Bill Elliott started caving in his native Texas starting at age 15. In college, he continued this interest and met cave biologist Robert W. Mitchell during a trip to Mexico in 1969. Well, of course, we're going back a little over 50 years, so it's kind of hard to remember what it's like to be young, you know, <laughs> except that we were adventurous. Graduating from college that same year, Dr. Elliott went to study with Dr. Mitchell, who was a professor at Texas Tech University. During the summer, they mapped caves and collected more cave fish in the La Haba region. In 1977, Elliot and Mitchell, along with William Russell, published a pivotal paper on the Mexican cave fish about their environment, distribution, and evolution. The first time we went in there, we got down to the bottom and there was a second pitch into the lake going down through a hole in a ledge. I rappelled down, was hanging on the end of the rope, the rope goes right down into this crystal clear water with cavefish all around, and there's no place to get off. And I didn't have any inner tube or flotation, so I just hung on the end of the rope, and I started collecting cavefish with my folding dip net. Went caving so much every day that our boots were wearing out, and I actually had holes in the toes from crawling through caves. And... So the cavefish started nibbling on my toes. During the early years, explorers trudged through the hot jungle and flew over the dense foliage looking for cave openings. Bill Elliott worked with a pilot, Dr. Richard Alpert, a surgeon from Alice, Texas, who made cave discovery his hobby. Dr. Elliott estimates that Dr. Alpert spent 45 hours of flight time helping out, but things did not always go smoothly. And the plane wasn't climbing quite as fast as the slope was. <laughs> so they <laughs> got to the top of the ridge, and his main gear on his plane, the wheels, connected with the treetop and turned the plane around backwards. And then it fell, it stalled and fell down slope and then started crashing through trees. It took both wings off, and they landed in the dense forest, the jungle, backwards. Tom Albert, Dr. Albert's son, had the only injury, a cut over the eye. Dr. Albert, a surgeon, did not have his medical kit, so he made do with what the jungle provided. He sewed up the wound using a thorn and plant fiber thread. But they finally got to the village. They got watered. They got fed. They were led down to civilization, and then they went home. Bill Elliott also served as a guide to scientists like Horst Wilkins and Parahan Shadaloo, who visited the caves to collect fish. I remembered the story about Parahan sneaking into Mexico in the trunk of a car. So I heard a rumor of how she got in from one of the other scientists that she had to hide in the trunk of the car to get into Mexico. Do you know anything about that? Well, actually, we had two trucks. One was a pickup, and it had a bunk built in the back, you know, with the mattress pads on top. But it had movable plywood panels lying on the bunk. And we put her down in the bottom and put sleeping bags all over her and concealed her. And uh, we got her in that way. 
which was risky. Uh, the reason we had to do that is she was a Turkish citizen. There was no uh, diplomatic relations between Turkey and Mexico at that time. <laughs> it developed the impression that she was kind of obsessive. But, you know, that's not unusual. A lot of professors are obsessive with their work, you know, and they really focus hard, you know. But she really, once we got some cave fish for her, she would sit in her hotel room there and worry over them and make sure she was she was taking notes, and as you saw in the picture, and taking care of them. In the photo, Perihan is seated on a bed, silver spring showing under a mattress. Her head is bent down while she takes notes, so her face is obscured. A black ponytail hangs down over her shoulder. Next to her muddy boots is a camera and a collapsible container containing cave fish. Four aerated buckets sit to the side. Dr. Elliot described her as being fearless in the field and maybe a little too eager to find the cavefish in its natural home. At one point, she had to be physically held back from free climbing into a deep pit cave. Well, uh, some of us, you know, rappel in on a rope and she apparently thought that she could just free climb it. She was so, apparently so excited that she had no experience and I think Dr. Mitchell, I found out later, he had to physically restrain her from trying to climb down the pit. <laughs> he had to grab her. He did not keep in touch with her after, and there was never a shared research project with Dr. Shadaloo and Mitchell. So I don't know what happened. Uh, she probably was invited on the trip by Mitchell because she was a geneticist who uh, was working on these cave fishes, and my guess is they were probably thinking about co-authoring a paper or two, you know? But it didn't happen, so I don't know why it didn't happen. Maybe uh, she didn't get enough cave fish to, to work with, or some of them died off, or maybe they didn't get along very well. I'm just not sure. When I first met the Florida Atlantic University cavefish scientists, they were planning a trip to Mexico for field work in the caves where Astyanax was first found in the 1930s by Salvatore Coronado. The trip was planned for March 2020. For Itzel Cifuentes Romero, a postdoc working with Joanna Cualco at FAU, it was like coming full circle. Born in Mexico City, she had visited the area growing up. She came to the United States to study after receiving her bachelor's and master's degree in biology in Mexico. Now she was going back to do field work. I was born and raised in Mexico City, okay. but my entire family, both sides, my mom and my dad, um, they are from San Luis Potosí, okay. where the caves are. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, for me it was really interesting because I, I grew up in that area. I was going there every summer for vacation, and as a child I, I had no idea that something like that was happening so there. So you didn't like, yeah. know about the no, caves? No, I didn't yeah. know about the caves. I knew about all these beautiful places because they're beautiful. Yeah. Like all the, this area which is called La Huasteca Potosina. It's just, it, it's just beautiful. What's it like? What's it it's, like? A, it's a jungle mm -hmm. and it's, um, it has rivers and cascades and it's, um, it's just oh. simple. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, for me, it's, it's really, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I have this feeling of uh, going back where I grew up, basically, uh -huh. because I, I spent there a lot of summers as a child. 
and going back there um, now as a researcher, it's, uh, it's kind of exciting. Student Ali Paz, who grew up in Miami, would also be going on the trip. Both of the scientists speak Spanish, which would help the team navigate the remote area where the caves are. And so I think we're all really excited. Um, but yeah, it'll be a challenge. And so I know, for example, one of the caves we're visiting is Molino. And we do apparently have to rappel down into it. And so, yeah. And so there's some discussion of like, you know, who should be doing this? And do you feel comfortable doing this and all that? Um, that we definitely, you know, need to talk about and, and prepare. And it'll depend on basically the person's own level of comfort. But... Yes. <laughs> I feel, I mean, I know I'm going to stand there and panic, uh -huh. but I, I can't say no. Yeah. You know, there's a part of me that's like, maybe I'll just be passed out by the time I get to the bottom, in which case someone please like lower me safely and just let me wake up. <laughs> but, but I mean, you can't just say no, right? In recent years, going to the caves has become a rite of passage for cavefish researchers at the Astyanics International Meeting. These annual meetings have grown larger over the years as the research family has grown. A cave visit in 2013 during the meeting is how this team first came together. And, and so we were all at this early stage of our careers and we ended up being stuck in a cave for reasons out of our control for about an hour and a half in like this hot sweat box like holding area in the middle of a cave system. And it's a bonding experience, right? Suzanne McGow, a population geneticist at the University of Minnesota, was the group leader for the Mexican March trip. After decades of studying fish in the lab, there was a renewed interest in learning about the habitat that may influence the cave fish's genetics. The scientists were going to deploy loggers that recorded water temperature and oxygen levels once an hour for up to a year in three caves, Molino, Pachon, and Tanaja, along with some surface river sites. We really don't know that much about the ecology, right? We really don't know much about the water chemistry and how that changes yearly. Um, we know very little, we know somewhat, but very little about the nutrient availability. We know it's low. We know they eat a lot of bat guano and some insects. Suzanne and team have also been collaborating with Patty Arnelis Garcia at the National Autonomous University of Mexico in Mexico City. For the past seven years, Patty has been studying cave fish populations in 32 caves and their cave environments. What we do during this survey about the, how large are the populations, we put some pools, uh, plastic pools, and we were collecting all of the fish that we could observe in the pool. And I can say that the largest population was 300 individuals, which seems a lot, but actually it's not that large. Earlier explorers and scientists reported abundant fish numbers in the caves. For example, Bill Elliott did a survey in 1971 where he found 10,000 fish in Sotono Urbanese. But Patty is finding something different. You have a, a relatively small population that if the dry season because of climate change increase, that is the case in this region, you can have a severe conservation pro issue here. And I think this is another problem in the cavefish because in all this region in San Luis Potosí and Tamaulipas, the states where the caves are living, the dry season is getting longer and longer, which is also because of this climate change. So since this condition is getting more and more severe, the fish in the caves, the only income of nutrients is because of the rainy season. 
So they are adapted to support starvation for longer periods of time. But if we are putting more and more pressure on that, we don't know how fragile these populations could be. However, in January, as the COVID-19 pandemic spread worldwide, Suzanne and team decided to cancel the trip due to uncertainty and safety. Alex Keane said they were disappointed, but planned to go again in another year or two. Um, but I remember talking to Ali and them being worried about the border being closed and them being stuck down there. We were also concerned because at that point, it seemed like there's very little coronavirus in Mexico. And so they worried rightfully about bringing it down there. Um, I think there was no, there was no way we would have felt good about having gone then. I think what we didn't expect is this to last so long, but it was kind of soul crushing because you could ah, you could see we you know we built up over years to to do this trip. I think you know just in terms of inertia and expertise, and we finally put together this this big research team and to, to ask very concrete questions like is there sleep different in the caves? What's the biodiversity like in the caves? How does the temperature fluctuate? And then we had all this, you know, lab data that that we we'd been developing that allowed us to frame those questions better than we would have six years ago. And so we were just we were all set to go, and we built all the equipment. And the team was in place, and so it was really disappointing. But a lot a lot's disappointing, right? Because of the coronavirus. So it's you know. Thanks to scientists and explorers like Bill Elliott, 33 caves have been found in the area, each with their own Astyanax cavefish populations. Today, the fish are protected and cannot be removed from the caves, but there are plenty of lineages and labs around the world used to fuel studies on genetics and disease. Next time on the Cavefish Chronicles, we'll talk about how genetic studies, starting with Parahan Shadaloo, shed some light on the differences between Astyanax cavefish and the surface river fish. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the National Science Foundation and was produced by myself, Andrea Carter, edited by Sam Houghton, with original music by May and Willa Mincer.